So if it takes a verse or two to uh, remember it, that's okay. Pay attention to the lyrics. Think about what it's saying. It's full of wonderful, deep, and practical truth. I'm his, he's mine.
Exodus chapter 21. has been given the law the Ten Commandments the moral law ceremonial law and civil laws to govern the people of Israel as the nation has moved into the promised land in chapter 21 of Exodus we have the word if verse 2 verse 3 verse 4 and down through the chapter and also chapter 22 if, if, if. The if is to say that whatever situations come up in the Hebrews traveling and selling into the land, there will be something to help them to, to deal with situations before they arise. And so that's why you have a lot of ifs. Now in chapter 21, come down to verse number 12. 21, 12. He that smiteth a man, so that he die, shall be surely put to death. Now verse 12 has been used to teach that you should not bear arms. That you should never carry any weapons, neither should you serve in the military to defend your country, nor should you defend yourself with a, a weapon. He that smiteth a man, so that he die, and of course a weapon means you can cause someone's death either by a gun, rifle, uh, a tool that is to kill someone. So, should put the, so if you kill someone, they say, then you deserve to have your life taken. Now, verse 12 is not a verse to say that you cannot defend yourself. As a matter of fact, if you come back to chapter 20 of Exodus, one of the commandments that God gave in chapter 20, at verse number... 13 it says thou shalt not kill now thou shalt not kill has been used has been interpreted to mean thou shalt not murder but it doesn't say thou shalt not murder it says thou shalt not kill in chapter 21 he explains to you what killing means which is to say in a roundabout way or in a direct way killing someone in self-defense is not wrong Killing in the name of national defense is not wrong. Killing someone to defend your family is not wrong. Having guns is not wrong. Having a sharp knife or an axe or something, uh, a tool that can defend yourself against another criminal attacking your family is not wrong. Because in chapter 20, thou shalt not kill, it doesn't say murder. The explanation of chapter 20, verse 13, is found in chapter 21. That's where we are, verse number 12 says, He despiteth a man so that he die, shall be sure to put to death. Now let's keep reading, verse 13. If a man lie not in wait, while a man lies in wait, the picture here is of someone who is hunting. When you hunt, you don't declare to the animal that you're hunting, I'm here to kill you. Come, come, come. No, no, you hide in a tree stand, you hide somewhere, you be very quiet, very still, you don't let him sniff you through the direction of the wind, whatever hunters do. They want to be there secretly 
and they want to be there to surprise their prey and to get a good shot and kill whatever they are killing. And it's kind of interesting to see uh, an animal get shot, uh, an elk, a deer, a bear, um, coyotes, different kinds of weapons, different kinds of rounds that are used. It's kind of interesting to see that that takes place. And all of that is to uh, protect their livestock, protect their farm, things like that. So uh, when it comes to the, the foxes and other kind of animals, but I'm saying, I'm getting off track here. Verse number 13, if a man lie not in wait, uh, hunting is something to connect with this. If man lie not, he doesn't plan to kill. If he lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Is it possible in verse 13, sometimes in the name of justice or righteousness, sometimes a man is led to a place where he is actually executed or killed? That is possible. In that scenario, verse 13, uh, if a man, if, if God allows a man to come so that he is, quote, executed, that is killing him, but that is not murder. Look at verse 14. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor, to slay him with guile. Okay, now this is different from just killing a man, spatting a man. Thou shalt not kill. It's a different thing. If a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. Now, this is then a man being killed presumptuously with guile, premeditatively, or he is killed by accident. Not intentionally. That's called manslaughter. You have manslaughter, you have murder. Thou shalt not kill is really murder as defined in chapter 21. So that's what that means. Now you have here a scenario or a, a case in which you kill someone, then you will die for your crime. Capital offense, uh, capital crime requires capital punishment. However, sometimes people get uh, killed accidentally unintentionally so now he covers both of those situations in which sometimes god delivers the enemy into your hands therefore the enemy is put down and everyone is safe and so on and sometimes uh, as in a military sense david and goliath the lord used david to kill uh, the one that was brought into his hand goliath and of course you know that story and so uh, this is this is not murder this is in a different sense killing someone uh, in a righteous sense but then there was killing for those uh, who are murdering someone in a vicious premeditated planned sense that man's life needs to be taken from him now yeah, there is a place called the city of refuge where he shall flee verse number 13 but if the man was found guilty of premeditated murder then he is to be taken from his asylum the city of refuge and he is to be executed. However, if he goes to the city of refuge and he pleads his case before the elders, the priests, and the judges, then he is found to be innocent by evidence. Now, there are testimonies of witnesses that come in. Witnesses are to be honest and accurate, not embellish the facts or embellish, I think, I felt, so on. No, it's what you saw, what you heard, and that's what the elders wants to know. When they find out all the information they had gathered, and they say, we have judged that this man killed this person it was a pure accident tragically yes it's an accident he is not a murderer he is free to go now yet if the evidence proves that he is a murderer then he will be executed 
And so that's what you find in chapter 21, verses 12, 13, 14. And then uh, look at verse number 15. Oh, by the way, verse 14 says, Take him from mine altar that he may die. Uh, let me ask the question. Today, when people commit murder and they have been found guilty in a court of law, trial by their peers, found guilty, that person goes to prison. Sometimes the sentence is for life, uh, multiple life sentences, for example. But what would be, I'm just talking, what would be the most expedient, the most cost-effective way to deal with a man convicted of a capital offense? Romans 13 have fallen to play now, where that person is under the jurisdiction of he broke the law, capital offense, capital crime, Therefore, he must pay with his life. Now, if you come down to verse number 23 of this chapter, we will get to that in just a minute, but I want you to know this. If a man, if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. And I'll stop there because I want to cover these verses just a bit. Life for life. So if a man takes another man's life in a deliberate fashion, not an accident, then his life is to be taken from him. If that was to happen today, and if it was to happen the day after, then you would have, of course, a lot less cost to the state and a lot a lot less problems going on within uh, incarceration and all that. So uh, that's not done today, though. And it probably would never go back to that because it is too, according to the people of the world, this is too cruel. And so we're going to have a prison system around our country that is, um, that really, it advances a lot more crimes uh, within the bars, within the walls of the, the facility. So it's a sad, bad cycle that we are in. But if things are carried out immediately, then of course uh, you would have that taken care of right away. Now let's move on to verse number 15. Having talked about smiting a man in verse 12 so that he died, look at verse 15. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. This is in the context of, okay, if a stranger murders another stranger or whoever, doesn't matter really, that person's life is taken from him. If a, if a son or a daughter smites his father or his mother, this is more than just smacking them, slapping them, kicking them, punching them, pushing them. It's more than that. The smiting is in the sense of verse 12, smiting a man that he died. So this is killing your parents. This is unbelievable why this would ever happen, but if it does, he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely likewise put to death. And so that's how that is dealt with. It doesn't matter who is killed by a murderer. The fact that he murdered someone demands that he is himself executed. He forfeits his life. Verse 16, And he that stealeth more things that are covered, and he that stealeth a man, he that stealeth a man, and selleth him, he that stealeth a man, what would you call this stealing a man? Kidnapping? Trafficking. Trafficking, human trafficking. He that stealeth a man, and selleth him. Why would you sell someone that's not yours? Why would you sell someone to others? There's, there's got to be a gain to that. There's got to be something that benefits the one who kidnaps someone. The gain is money. 
Now you remember that the love of money is the root of all evil? And this also applies to the worst of all crimes, it appears, in many people's estimation, mine as well, that human trafficking, kidnapping for profit is one of the grossest, most wicked sins that a man can come up in his heart. And surely hell is going to be a lot hotter for that kind of a person. Verse 16, he that stealeth a man. It's not his property. It's not his child, not his flesh and blood. It's another's. It's another it's another mother's son or daughter. He that stealeth a man and selleth them for money. Or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So there's a harsh penalty for those who deal with kidnapping and human trafficking. Uh, this is akin to a capital offense. Akin to a capital offense. Now look at verse number 17. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. Doesn't that sound harsh, verse 17? Cursing your father or your mother, you'd be put to death. Could it be something more than just swearing at your mom and your dad? Could it be something deeper than just, quote, cussing out your parents? What could this cursing be that requires a death penalty? What could it be? Let's take a guess at what this curse could be. This is not cursing as in, I put a spell on you, I put a curse in. That's not, it's a different kind of a curse. Could it be something like a, like a death threat? That'd be pretty serious to threaten the life of your parents. Now, were that to happen, there's a way in which the Hebrews would deal with that in old times. As a matter of fact, this connects to how parents dealt with rebellious children in the, in the quote, good old days. Threatening your parents. We'll say death threat. The procedure for dealing with rebellious children in ancient Israel is found in chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. Turn over there with me. Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21. Now, uh, as you turn there, let's take a little detour to chapter 19 of Deuteronomy. And I want to lay out the process of dealing with a rebellious son and also someone who's accused of a capital offense. You'd go to the city of refuge and there you'd be judged by the evidence. And look at chapter 19, verse number four. We're gonna work our way down to chapter 21 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 19 and verse number four, 19, four. This is the case of the slayer someone who has killed someone. Was it murder? Was it manslaughter? We don't know yet. Verse four, this is the case of the slayer which shall flee thither that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly whom he hated not in time past as when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor, example, to hew wood, two friends, two neighbors, two farmers, 
two pals. And his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helm, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die. Okay, so that man got killed. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, is this chapter 21 of Exodus murder? That he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and lives his refuge. Verse 6, lest the revenge of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in, his, in time past. So you have here a motive. No, there's no motive here. The man killed his friend by a simple tragic accident. He was chopping down a tree, but the accident fell off. He hit his neighbor, cut his jugular vein, he bled out to death. Tragic. But a man died. He, he must account for this death. So he runs as fast as he can to the nearest city of refuge. He goes there and he has to wait until the elders and judges assemble to hear the argument, to hear his case, the one who killed his neighbor, his friend. He claims to have killed him, but it was a simple accident. He has nothing against him, verse number four. Doesn't hate him in times past. He has no cause to kill him. And this is what happened. And so they hear the case. Now, in verse number six, uh, lest the avenge of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is sought, overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death. So sometimes a man can be killed and you did it, but it was an accident. You should not be accused of murder and die a murderer's death. Inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. Now, if you come down to verse number uh, 10, that innocent blood be not shed in the land, thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. So don't kill a man who is innocent of killing. Don't execute a man who, is, who has killed a man, but it was an accident. He's got innocent blood. No motive to kill somebody. Just an He backed into that guy without even seeing him. That guy just came out of nowhere and you was backing up and you killed him. Accident, accident, sad, tragic accident. Verse 11. But, however, if any man hate his neighbor, unlike this man, and lie in wait for him, see, with presumption, chapter 28 of Exodus, and rise up against him, waiting for an opportunity, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, and smite him mortally that he die, and fleeth into one of those cities, that the elders of the city shall send, at, send and fetch him thence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Why? Because he has, let's keep reading. Thine eyes shall not pity him. If he cries, begs for mercy, don't pity him. But thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that he may go well with thee. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which let's skip down to verse number 15. One witness to the crime, to the death of that person. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, if any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall, uh, which shall in, in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. Let's get to the facts. What happened? What happened? What happened? And behold, if the witness be a false witness, 
and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shalt thou do unto him as she hath thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall be for life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Jesus quoted this in the New Testament. We'll get to that in just a second. Do you see then the process of determining truth from just setting someone up is very serious and very important. Two or three witnesses. Now we're coming now to chapter 21 of Deuteronomy because we're talking about when a, a son or a daughter threatens the life of uh, their parents. Here's how you deal with a person like that. Chapter 21, verse number 18. 21, 18. If a man, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son or daughter, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. I read some commentaries where they say that the, the son who threatened the life of his parents could have been an adult son living. No, no, because this person was chastened by the parents. And so the person still is rebellious. I think he's living under their roof. And uh, will not hearken unto them, verse 19, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, grab him. Come on, son, we're going to go. Where are we going to go? We're going to go here. Bring him out into the elders of the city, unto the gate of his place. We're going to go public with this. Verse 20, And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. <laughs> He's a glutton and a drunkard. This is pretty um, odd thinking about how the world thinks about today, to make public something private. But wait a minute, this is not so unusual because we have these programs that's called reality TV. Reality TV brings public things that were private things, never meant to be consumed by the general population, but something within the confines of someone's own home is now made public. Well, this is kind of like that, except the TV center is just for the ratings, for sponsors, all that kind of nonsense. And so here it is where the son or the daughter is out of control. And he is brought to the city, to the elders, to the gate in a public place where everyone can see and hear. The son is accused publicly of being a glutton, rebellious, and a drunkard. Verse 21, and all the men of this city shall stone him with stones. Ay, ay, ay that he died. So thou shalt put evil away from among you and all you shall hear and fear. Now, you have two things happening here and uh, we'll get back to Exodus 21. This probably is not the first course, recourse that the parents did to help their son. This is probably the last thing that, that he wanted to do. But the son just will not comply, just will not obey and he is bringing shame and all kind of reproach not only to his parents, but also disrespecting the Lord. And so this is what happens to him. And this is sad, tragic, but uh, this is what happened. And this is to put down rebellion right away, quickly. And also it was to cause others to fear what could happen to them. A rebellious son sees what happens to that rebellious kid, stone. He says, oh man, I better shape up. I better stop acting up with my parents. They might make me come out here too. 
And that's what happens. So it's a deterrent. Executing murder is a deterrent. Executing our blessed son in this time is a deterrent, or was a deterrent. And so that's what they did, a public example of a rebellion. Go back to chapter 21 of Exodus. We're at verse number 18. And, and, and if a man, if men, if men strive together, one smite another with a stone. They're walking along doing something, who knows, but they're together. And one smite another with a stone, or with his fist, and he die not, but keepeth his bed. This man is injured, stranger or friend, he's injured. He's not mortally wounded, but he is injured. And this is personal injury. He keepeth his bed. Is confined to bed rest, hospitalized, lost his uh, ability to work, lost opportunity to make wages. And so, verse number 18, he is injured. Personal injury. Verse 19, if he rise again, gets back onto his feet. He's released by the doctor, released by the hospital. Take it easy though, You're, you can go home. Just follow my instructions. Verse 19, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, what would you call this staff, walking on his staff in modern times, more modern terminology? What is he using to walk? A cane or maybe crutches? That would be the counterpart to that. He's not dead, he's better, he's getting well, but he's still not back to his full strength. He needs something to support him, he needs a crutch. Verse 19, if he rise again uh, and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly, thoroughly healed. So you have the one who injured him, didn't kill him thankfully, but he is responsible for medical bills, responsible for wages lost potentially and actually what he lost because of injury he is responsible for the time he had to take off to rehab to get back to full strength he's responsible for that is compensation that is called restitution it's an obligation that he has to this man that was injured now it's not murder of course it wasn't deliberate or if it was still he is responsible come before the injury to pay medical bills for him. Look at verse number 20. Restitution, compensation. Verse 20. And if a man smite his servant, hit the servant, smite him, smote him. If a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. This is angry, vengeful, violent. This is abuse. Intentional abuse of a servant requires severe punishment. Verse 21, notwithstanding, however, circumstances condition. If he, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. So the, the servant, the servant is hit, struck by the master, and, um, whether it be 
uh, violently, it seems to be, whether the intent was to maim him, or maim him, or to hurt him, or something, it was done, and this, this servant is injured, but he doesn't die. After a day or two, uh, he gets up, he's okay, he's hobbling, but he is still wounded, but he's not dead. And uh, now there is some responsibility for the man who, who hit him, who struck him, who abused him. Verse 21, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his money. Now, there is this thing about dignity of man where the Hebrews began to practice that servant slaves were not just animals or pieces of, quote, meat like the heathen would do back in these days. They had no respect for human life. They had no dignity, slaves. But the Hebrews who had servants, they were treated with respect. And there was a responsibility on the master's part to be careful to not look at them as if they're just animals to be slaughtered, but that they were humans who were serving and working for the master. And so that's what you find here, that there was a responsibility, compensation, restitution was required of the master. And so God saw men as souls, they had dignity, they were not animals. So they were different from the others, the other nations around them. And so if the servant lived, the master isn't punished for murder. And now because he wasn't punished for murder because, of course, the person did not die. And we don't know, but maybe the master punished very harshly the servant as a matter of discipline. Right or wrong, if he was punished for that reason, the master is not accountable for murder and he is to be careful to take care of him. He is to, if the servant lives, um, the master is to look at him as it's called here, he is his money. The servant is his workforce, his ability to earn money, his source of income. And so he's to rehab him, take care of him. Look at verse 22. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, she's pregnant. There's an argument, there's a fight between men and the woman is there and somehow she gets knocked to the ground or she gets hit in the, in the womb and uh, so that her fruit depart from her. And yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So here's a, here's a woman who uh, perhaps uh, she gives birth prematurely because of the trauma or maybe, well, it does say that there is no mischief. So I would not say that the baby, the baby died in the womb, but um, the man who caused that injury is responsible for some form of compensation according to the husband and according to the judge's determination. And once again, examination, witnesses, what happened? Now, what you find here is a penalty for the, for the man, some type of compensation, something fair. And in verse number 23, and if any mischief follow, now here comes that life for life statement. If any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. So, interesting, life for life. If the child in the womb died, died because of the altercation, 
that it says, verse 23, if any mischief follow, the child died in the mom's womb. Then thou shalt give life for life. What does that tell you about, well, I already gave it away, and you already know that I call it a child, not just some, 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 um, some tissue, some, some generic thing in the womb. Uh, no, it's a human soul. It's a life developing in the mom's womb. And so that's why he says life for life. If mischief fellow, if the baby in the womb dies because of that injury, then thou shalt give life for life. The Bible is calling that is growing in the mom's womb a life. The man who caused the life to die, his life will be taken. Life for life. And this would be the reason why people are pro-life because they say that this unborn child is a child. It's not just a thing that you can just cut out and pull out and rip apart just because you don't want this growing in you. This You're taking a person's life. And so because verse 23 says life for life. Look at verse 24. Now you have the statement eye for eye. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. Burning for burning. Wound for wound. Strike for strike. Now, what is all this about? Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, strike for strike. What does this sound like on the surface? And then what does it really mean in the context of what we're reading here? I'll tell you what, it could mean to people, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that means vengeance to them. When they read these verses, they say, ah, oh, you see, I have the right to vent, get vengeance upon that person who, to scratch my car. I fire tooth to scratch for scratch. I'm gonna rip apart his car. I'm gonna flatten his tires. Somebody takes it like that. Another person takes it like this, okay? You killed my son, I'm gonna kill your son. By the way, do you know why it's a good thing to have capital punishment? Because capital punishment would end any need for vengeance on behalf of the uh, of the family relatives, the one who was whose life was taken, because they want to get revenge. But if that person's life was taken, there's no need for revenge because that man's life was taken. Now they could be so upset they would take revenge on that murderer's sibling. That could happen too. But generally speaking, you take the life, you execute, you care justice for the murderer, then that just stop. That just stop any more vengeance. Justice was served life for life. But here you have the statement life for life, I fry, and so on. What does it mean? Does it mean what I just said? I want to get you because you got, you did that to us, I'm going to do this to you. People justify their vengeance by an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. What does this mean? It means something. You know what it means? Control your anger so you don't have to for your own or with your own eye or your own tooth you know what this really means what we're reading here we're talking about compensation we're talking about uh, restitution we're really talking about fairness we're talking about don't don't pile on the punishment more than necessary life for life it's one life for one life, not because, okay, uh, my wife lost her baby. I'm going to kill five of your kids. No, no. 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. So really the gist of this is saying, be fair about the, the restitution, be fair about the judgment. Judge fairly, judges, elders, priests, judge fairly. Don't be ultra harsh. That's not necessary. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Don't judge harshly. And that's what really that's about. It's not about get revenge. It's not about revenge. It's about fairness in judgment. All right. Um, look at verse uh, number, where am I? 20, 26. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perished, he should let him go free for his eye's sake. He's lost his eyesight in one eye. He's a slave, servant. He's a slave. Okay, he can never recover that. You've heard him enough, Master. Okay, why don't you just give him his freedom as compensation, as restitution? It will not bring back his eye, but at least it will give him some freedom or his freedom back. That's something. Compensation. Verse 27. If he smite out of his uh, one, out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. If an ox were a man or a woman that he die, that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push him, uh, push with his horn in time past, it happened before, and it hath been testified to his owner. The owner's been aware of it, not the first time this happened, and he hath not kept him in, not had him under control, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Okay, so the, the compensation here, the, the uh, uh, what I'm looking for is the restitution here is that he is responsible for that animal's bad behavior. It is not a new thing. It happened before. He didn't put him under control. He didn't do take step to to keep this from happening again, and now he's killed others. He's accountable for that, those people's deaths now. And so that animal is killed, and the owner is also put to death. Everything here so far is to stop it from happening again. Secondly, it is to warn others to be careful about things. Three, verse 30. Uh, if there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him, uh, what, whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to the judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto him the master thirty shekels of silver, and so on. 33. If a man shall open a pit, if a man dig a pit, and not cover it, and the ox and ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good restitution give money unto the owner of them and the dead beasts shall be his this is about being negligent careless and you are accountable for that verse 35 and if one man's ox hurt another's and he died then he shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it and the dead ox also they shall divide or if if it be known that the ox hath used to push in time past, and his owner hath not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead shall be sown. So you have fairness, you have equity, you have judging rightly, so that you have a fair settlement about the matter. No one is taken advantage of, and the guilty, they're not let go free. There is justice here. 
in chapter 22, you have also laws about property, loss of property. Notice that if, uh, in verse number 1, 22, 1, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it and sell it, he shall restore five oxen for one ox. Five to one restoration, uh, uh, restitution, and four sheep for a sheep. Four to one. Verse 2, if a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall be no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for it shall make full restitution. He shall make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. He becomes a servant. He becomes a slave. If he cannot repay and make restitution. Verse 4, if the theft be certainly found in the hand, he stand alive, whether it be an ox or an ass or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man, verse 5, and, and, the, and the chapter goes on, Verse 5, full restitution, make restitution. Verse 6, make restitution. Verse 7, at the end, let him pay double restitution. Verse 12, make restitution. So you find this principle was used in the Old Testament to curtail further crime and to make an example of the lawbreaker, the criminal, so that others would fear and they would stop. Now today, when there is a capital offense, the state, the state, they talk about the state being um, uh, compensation to the state. It should be, in, in these verses, compensation to the individual, to the family, not to the state. Now, of course, when there is... Um, certain kinds of crimes committed and they have been found guilty, then there is penalty that, of course, for the state, uh, they have to get something out of that. But for the injured person and for the family, restitution is always in order. Restitution also shows good faith. Restitution shows that I am truly repentant and sorry for what I've done. Uh, you remember in uh, the book of Matthew, the little man, the little man, Nicodemus, not Nicodemus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He repaid for for those he had defrauded. And so he was showing that he was really repentant and sorry for his cheating of people with the taxes. And so he proved his sorrow and repentant heart by his actions. And that probably gained a lot of respect of the people for him because he did that. Had he just said, I'm really sorry, I'm never going to do it again. Few may have forgiven him, but nobody would have respected him. They would still resent him. Yeah, he just said it because he got caught. But when he when he offered to pay full fourfold, he probably got the respect of some, some people there. And so restitution is a good thing. It still should be practiced. It is not something just for the Old Testament. It is a practice in the New Testament, in the case of Zacchaeus, and in the case of New Testament Christians today, if there is restitution made, or compensation made, uh, fairly so, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that'll go a long ways toward the healing process. It'll go a long ways toward someone forgiving someone else. Now, sometimes people don't forgive another who have hurt them or cheated them, taken something from them. Sometimes, sometimes there is healing, there is forgiveness when there is restitution. When there is no restitution, there's no restitution. It's a lot harder to forgive, a lot harder to say that's okay. So 
Restitution is a good thing. On a small scale, if you if you hurt someone, do everything possible to make up for it, to compensate for that. Prove that you're really sincere. That goes a long way. And if they have a grudge against you, don't don't hold that against them. Because you really, you meaning someone really did hurt someone, take something from someone. And so it's not easy to recover from that. So therefore, what you and I can do is to is to compensate for the, the wrong we've done for others. Now, I'm not sure how far you take that though. I'm not sure how far you take that as far as reparations. So previous generation, uh, Japan bomb, Pearl Harbor, therefore Japan owes, I don't know how far you can take that. Uh, you took away land from the Native Americans, the American Indians, therefore you owe, I'm not sure how far you can take that. Okay, all right, so you had slavery in America, therefore we owe them. I'm not sure if I can take that. So this reparation thing, I don't know how far you can take that. But what I do know is that uh, restitution is a good thing. Compensation is a good thing. And it does help a lot in the healing process. It does prove sincerity. So that's a little bit about Exodus chapter 21. And uh, we'll stop there, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible and these old things. We see application for today. And help us to be wise and help us not to disregard the Old Testament because it's the Old Testament. Help us to see the principles in which we can draw from and practice in our life today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.